0: Hey, my name is Gregory Koberger, and I'm the founder of ReadMe. To help fight the boredom, we launched WAPI in a radio station that I hosted live for 24 hours straight. We talked about building amazing developer experiences with some awesome guests. Most of the 24 hours are gone forever, but we're releasing recordings of some of our favorite hours. Let's listen in on Cece and Paige talk about how Slack thinks about marketing platforms to developers. You are listening to the WAPI bootleg recording. Um, so, Cece, one thing that you talk a lot about and write a lot about is um, this concept of a, of a platform. And uh, I think one of the first things that we uh, when we first met, I gave you a did I give you a T-shirt that was uh, the I'm a platform T-shirt?
1: It's one of my favorite t-shirts, I still have
0: it. So we didn't actually do like a full run of these, but um, when I was in Y Combinator, this was like five years ago, Paul Graham uh, wanted our marketing plan to be to make t-shirts with a bunch of um, random devices and have each of the devices say I'm a platform because the joke being that everyone thinks they're a platform. and I know, CC, this is one of your uh, pet peeves as well around uh, around uh, everyone calling themselves a platform. But uh, yeah, we got a bunch of t-shirts made with a toaster and uh, he said, I'm a platform. And uh, it was a joke that like only four people would ever have gotten. Uh, like <laughs> CC just happened to be literally one of them. Um, but yeah, so uh, how do you think about like what a platform is at, uh, at both at Slack and then kind of in general?
1: Well, I think it depends on the type of platform we're talking about. Again, it's just such an overused word. It's really hard to say this is what a platform is and this is what it's not because so many people have co-opted the word. But in the case of a company like Slack, so a company that has a product that users use, I think of a platform as a, as the way that you make your product extensible to developers so that more can get built on top of it. Um, there's this sort of like lore, and I hope it's a true story. I've retold it and like written about it enough times <laughs> um, that I hope it's true, that Bill Gates said that you're not a true platform company until the basically sum of everything built on top of your product or on top of your platform is greater than the core product or core platform by itself. Um, a couple of examples of that would be uh, Microsoft and what they built as a, as Windows, the platform for developers. Um, Apple's probably another good example. Facebook, I think, at times has really taken that on, though they've uh, it's been a fraught journey for them in many ways i think a lot of the heat they've come up under in the last couple years has been because of their platform and because of the access developers have to their users and information about their users so we see slack as a platform because um, developers are able to come we have very open apis and can build anything from little task management apps to full-on uh if anyone's using lattice out there which is like a feedback app it really can run fully through slack Um, that's the only interface i use to interact with lattice so that's like a feedback and um yeah i think it's like a feedback system is how i describe it so that's how i would talk about a platform anything that you guys would add
0: that i like the um the uh bill gates quote uh, i think that if he didn't say you should just take credit for it and uh pretend yeah, it's your I quote,
1: quote as bill gates. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um but yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and i think um it's one of those things where you can't be a platform from day one, like you said. It has to be something that uh, it almost comes as the, the second move for a company or a product um, that's that's really popular. Uh, and you've done a great that's job of. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, I'm Sorry.
0: Oh, I was going to say that you've done a great job of finding uh, awesome platform companies. Uh, before Bessemer, you worked at Box, and you know they had a ton of apps built on top of them. Uh, Slack now.
1: Well, so the Box journey was a really interesting one because um, Levy, who's just the best, I love him so much um, as a CEO, and he's also a very fun person, as you can see from his Twitter, but um, he was really passionate about working with mobile apps because it was kind of the mobile heyday, so my job was actually to get uh, mobile developers to work with Box and to integrate. But um, I think one of the big lessons there was that while we got lots of people to integrate, Box was more of a top-down product. So like a CIO would buy it and then they would have everyone use it. But it wasn't something that users were spending a ton of time in. So Mm -hmm. we and I were able to get a lot of people, developers, to develop integrations, but the usage was not as high as we would have liked. And so I think that you see there aren't very many mobile apps integrated with Box now because that just it didn't end up being a very strong use case or product market fit. Um, So at Slack, it's been a lot of fun because we have a lot of developers and uh, we have a lot of usage of their apps, whether that's an app just for their own team or an app for um, everyone on Slack to be able to use. So that's been a really cool journey. I will say, I think... The reason why that platform conversation came up greg is because when i was in venture i'd sit down with so many founders who were early Mm -hmm. and they would be like oh i'm building a platform and i'd be like well it depends on the type of product you're building but if you're trying to build the kind of platform that we're talking about where you have a core product and then developers extend it um you have to really find product market fit with users in order to build the quote unquote Mm -hmm. platform you can't Mm -hmm. go ahead and be like
2: here i go i'm a platform already
0: And so yeah, I think in the case, in oh, the sorry, case Go, of Paige.
2: black well I, what you just said CC about like top down versus bottom up I think is so so true and that's like so much of the the momentum that spins the platform wheel right the flywheel um because in the case of like you said in with box it was very much top down but black started very much bottom up and I think um that's been sort of like a key part of its secret sauce is like the, pe- the people using it really want to use it. It's, it. People adopted it first, and then eventually it reaches, like, some sort of a critical mass. And then it's, like, a company kind of looks at it and says, okay, we should probably buy this for real. Um, but – and so many of those early users were developers. And I think that's what – Part of what made our job so much easier (laughs) Mm -hmm. is that we had uh, and still have um, so much developer love because developers were using it. It was it was a developer friendly tool that they sort of understood and had like a mental model of already. And so much of it was kind of built for developers. So I think the transition to a platform was maybe a more natural one. Totally.
1: 100% 100% agree.
0: Uh, so I think that uh, at this point in time, if you look back, obviously, Slack is an obvious platform, makes total sense. It's probably one of the bigger ones out there. Um, but uh, I know, Paige, you've talked a little bit about how it's not always, even for a company as big as Slack, where it's so obvious, it's not always easy to to understand what is success, and what counts as success and things like that. Um, how did, in Slack or just in general, how do you think about how to consider whether your platform is successful or not?
2: It, I mean, it's a little bit different for every company, right? Uh, the specific metrics. But ultimately, um, you are successful if you are bringing, like CC said, more value to users. So people need to ge- get value out of your platform. People need to be using it. Um, or it's not a success for your customers. And And just as importantly, it's not a success for the developers who are building on it. Um, because ultimately what they're trying to get is somebody to use their product. Um, if you can't deliver that to your developers, it doesn't matter how many stickers you send them or like how many meetups you have, like they're not going to continue investing. Um, so that should be in my mind, like your number one metric. And then of course you would look at, you can look at kind of the funnel, right? Where the bottom of the funnel is, are people using the things Um, that could be one way of looking at it. Are people using the things that developers are building on your product? Um, And are they using it actively? Um, You can also look at are developers, um, not just building something, um, but actually improving it over time. So, you know, I, I worked on, or the team that I built at Slack was on the product marketing side, but we focused on developers and so, when you release a new feature, for example, um, are people actually adopting it and making their apps better over time? And if they're not, if it's sort of a one and done, I built this thing, it's unmaintained, it's full of bugs, um, that's not really success either. Because again, you're going back to our customer is going to get value out of this. Um, and if it's an unmaintained thing that was built a year ago that's never being touched again, and it's not, making use of your newest functionality, then maybe that's not the best metric to be measuring yourself by. So I think it's a combination of value for the customer, are people actually using it, and uh, and sort of the health of your ecosystem, like are people actively continuing to maintain and adopt and build um, on your ecosystem.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Um, do you separate, so I know that we have two kinds of integrations in our Slack for the most part. We have, uh, we'll include a bunch of companies like, um, <clears throat> someone mentioned Lattice before, or um, pretty much any app that we use, we have some sort of Slack plugin for it. Um, but then we have maybe like 30 bots as well that we've written for like reminding of us meetings or um, internal type stuff. Um, how do you separate that, the two kinds of companies and also, or two kinds of um, people building on top of your platform? Uh how do you decide like who's more valuable or how to think about that? And uh, how do you separate out success for the two different types of people building on your platform?
1: We have a lot of arguments. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Sage, you there because you've been to this more recently.
2: Um, Well, yeah, I mean, we could both speak to this one. Um, It has changed over time as we have learned more about the people building. And there's more than, there's actually more than two, right? Like, I think one of the biggest, the biggest thing, the biggest mistakes I see people making is that, is an assumption, like, developers are a persona, because that's such a broad assumption, right? Like, people, all types of people build apps, some of them are actually developers in their job titles, some of them might be on the IT team some of them it might be someone in sales who's building something simple for herself and her own team so um, our understanding has definitely evolved over time and now to add even like an extra layer of complexity is sort of the no code low code space that's opening up and so it's it's broadening um, the term developer even more and so Slack um recently launched a tool called workflow builder which is a product that allows non-developers to build slack apps without code and so now we have this spectrum almost of um developers and you can look at it from um someone very sort of non-technical but maybe like handy and like sort of a tools geek and they can build something simple all the way to something that's a third-party tool um, built for anyone to use. It's an external app. It's very complex, very rich, and totally built on Slack. Um, So yeah, what would you say, Cece? I'm curious um, curious for your take.
1: Yeah, Taylor is saying it's also for developers. Yes, it's definitely also for developers. (laughs) Um, It's it's actually like the long game for workflow builder, just to finish that little thread, is um, to have it be for people who are, I'd call them like early adopters who are willing to get their hands a little dirty and build something yeah. even if they don't necessarily code a lot, as well as for a developer who wants to just set up the really basic stuff of their app without having to code it. And then they can export that code, code or pull it out and then add a ton to it with um, with code. But like that yes. core functionality is just built there. That's sort of like the future vision for it, um, exactly when that's gonna come about. I'm not totally sure, especially <laughs> with everything going on in the world. Um, I don't really know what the product timelines are right now. Also, I'm on Mature, I believe, so I really don't know what the <laughs> timelines um, But so the question was, how do you know? What was the question, Greg, again?
0: Um, oh, I don't know. We kind of uh, we kind of get, went down a, a path around a bunch of different things. Um, one thing I will say to get back into it, CC, was that Paige said something that I really liked. And then Taylor said something in the chat as well um, about developers and kind of this blurring line of stuff. Um, so maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Um, because I think we're way too gatekeepery about who gets to build on top of our platform and who doesn't. Like, yeah. you know, It's so bizarre that we've, and we don't think of it this way, but we basically say, okay, only what? 1% of people know how to program, maybe less than that. And like, why are we limiting ourselves to only those people um, for building a Slack app? Because no one has ever said, I want to build a, well, maybe some people have. But most people haven't said, I want to build a Slack app or I want to use the Slack API. They say, I want to do blank. And it still so happens that programming is the best way to do it, writing Node or Ruby or something like that. So I think that um, it's, I love that some of the best API companies out there, and I include Slack in this, the best like platform companies, um, they've realized that no one wants to, uh, not that people don't want to write Node, but they're not doing it because they want to write Node or Python. They're doing it because they want to do something, get something done. So I love the workflow thing. Um, So I think the question, yes, CC was around, how do we separate out um, the different kinds of developers? So obviously we have these gigantic companies that are building Slack apps, which are great for the platform, but there's also just these random one-off people. And I guess that was kind of the question is, how do you think about those people?
2: Yeah, and I think if you actually
1: pull it back to not just Slack and think about, so if you're, I don't know, it might be interesting to like pull this crew of, you know, the 20 people who are on right now, like who's a (laughs) a developer building things. Um, When you look at the makeup of Slack's dev audience, you're going to see this combo to what you're saying, Greg, of these companies like, Google who are building the Google apps and Google calendar integrations. And we built some of those cause they're really, really big, but um, trying to make up a smaller company and I don't get sleep at night. So it's a little harder to do right now, <laughs> um, but even like, of course, so we have, we have these integrations with big companies that you use every day that are useful at the same time. We have these developers who like Greg was saying, just like at Readme, you're setting up a bunch of little integrations that are easy to set up. You can either build them with workflow builder or use simple API calls to get a a, daily workflow done in a more efficient and sort of pleasant manner. I think if you look at the breakdown of our audience in terms of developers at Slack, it's going to be much more more heavily skewed to that um, in-house developer. Mm -hmm. So the person who's building something that just makes their lives more convenient. The cool thing is that kind of user and that kind of behavior for Slack is a way better behavior in terms of like the longevity of a team and the success of a team. So if you've taken your Slack instance and totally customized it for your company's needs, it's going to be hard to ever leave it because it's really, really useful to you. It's kind of like how Salesforce has done it. Mm -hmm. There is no real out of the box Salesforce instance. So even if all of us are not sitting all day and like in salesforce the salespeople are and the way that they're using it is entirely unique and customized to their sales needs which is different from every other company's sales needs even though it's a similar motion um like the way you set everything up is unique so it's very hard to rip replace salesforce and ideally it's very hard to rip replace slack because of it slack also you know consumes all of your communication so you want to keep that log um the thing I'm trying to get at, even though I'm not really getting there, is what's interesting about Slack is it was built by developers and somewhat for developers at first. So Stuart and team were building custom integrations, I mean, initially on IRC, but then on what became Slack so that they could get their work done better on the video game they were building. So that motion of, let me customize this with a really simple and fast little app or bot, is something that was built into the DNA of Slack. So we kind of had that little platform underpinning from very, very early on. And then the adding on these bigger third party integrations came later and that's useful to many users and is great, but it's sort of like an 80-20 kind of thing where more of our developers are going to be that unique uh, or that individual developer at a larger company building custom Slack for themselves. Um, if you're thinking about this for your own company, and your own business, I think what's tricky is if you're building a product for developers, great. You can kind of like weave what I just explained into, into just your building your product motion. If you say, Oh, like, you know, I'm building README, but I want README to be extensible these ways for developers, you can just build that in. If your product is for a really non uh, quote unquote developer audience, I think it becomes this question of, do you eventually think about ways that you can do things like a workflow builder where it's extensible for the power user, even if they don't need to go open up the terminal in order to to make that extensibility happen. So I think that those are like the the questions I would ask if I were trying to build um, something that hopefully eventually became a platform for a non quote unquote technical audience. I also agree with a gatekeeper thing. Um, I think that we're at the point to where when I was investing in Greg's company back in the day, we were it was like 2014 probably. Is that right? Yeah, 15, we like, oh, wait,
0: something like 20- that.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or 2013. We were like, in 2020, Eons there delve. are going to be like, this many developers in the world. And there was all this like projection about the total addressable market of developers. And it's going to be so exciting. And I think what we're getting at right now in this conversation is, it's not that it's um, this huge, total addressable market of developers, while there is that, and you can see companies like Atlassian, et cetera, are doing really well just addressing the developer market. There's also this new addressable market of, People who have been around technology long enough, they might not call themselves developers or have a degree in, or have done a bootcamp in um, learning how to code, but they're technical enough that they can hang and they know how to really customize their products. So when you give them these low code and functional, um, like high functioning products that make them make life easier for them to do more, um, they're gonna do it. And I think Notion is like an amazing example of that, where people are really building kind of powerful products out of Notion even if they're not quote-unquote technical.
2: Yeah. And I'm just seeing um, in the chat right now, like a little bit of a debate between two engineers, one who's like, yeah, I like using these low-code products because it saves me a bunch of time. It's easier than having to like do a lot of this like low, so-called low-value sort of setup. And then someone else is saying, "Um, I don't like low-code. I like full API because my use cases aren't supported with low-code often but the best Um, part
0: is you can do both and then people can choose their own like level they want to enter into and go deeper or more high level and stuff like that which is really nice about like slack and and notion and all that yeah
2: yeah for sure and i think what's exciting what about what cc just said to me is like there this is such a new space particularly developer marketing as sort of a quote-unquote like field or even devrel is so new and especially with this new sort of low code area that's really growing so quickly, we are just starting to understand um, what these use cases look like, what these these people look like, all the types of personas of people who are trying to or who are uh, attracted to low code. Um, and I, I definitely have heard a lot of the sentiment of. Um, you know, I just want to do this because it saves me time. Like, I I don't want to spend three hours configuring an app if I can rely on a low-code tool to do it for me. And it gets me 80% of the way there of what I'm trying to do. Um, And maybe I can customize the last 20%, but that's definitely a huge, huge use case. So yeah, low-code is not at all for for non-technical people. It can also be for developers who are just being efficient with their time and and recognize that this tool can get them pretty close to where they need to go. And how do you think about this for your product?
0: Ooh, so we're a bit complicated because we both have a product, and then we're also helping other people uh, talk about their product. Um, I think, though, I agree with that, both of you completely. Um, we do API documentation, so Readme is a platform where we can document your API. And I always talk about things like, I think the worst, um, the most dangerous thing to do is to just... Give people an api and let them run with it because you lose so many people you didn't realize you were losing um you block out so many important people so now there's some like apis that are just very technical and you want a really strong api and that's the only integration but pretty much every really good platform or every really good api out there has so many different levels you can you can jump in on you can jump in on um you know just as a zapier integration and that's good enough for most people for a lot of different use cases um you can go really um into it with like a with a complicated API. So. Uh, even though we do API documentation, um, you know that's a kind of a, a thing that we're working on trying to to push is just because we do API documentation doesn't mean that our job is to um, only do reference guides and expose all your parameters and headers and things like that. We want to add a bunch of layers on top of it to make it um, easy use in API. So, I always think of it as uh, our job isn't to do documentation, but it's to to make people's APIs easier to use. And if that means someday having a bit of like a a, um, Zapier competitor to a certain extent, that's great. Or if we had a one-click add to Slack button that we kind of like made a Slack bot around an API, that's great as well. Um, So yeah, I definitely uh, you know I kind of hate getting too technical in our documentation. I like kind of building the uh, the layers on top of that make APIs easy to use. Um, And just quickly, for people who are just joining in, uh, we're here with Cece and Paige, um, both from Slack. Cece's currently at Slack. Paige recently left, so we're talking about developer uh, platform marketing. Uh, Because this is not a podcast and people are just joining in, I figured I should reintroduce you halfway through. Cool. (laughs) Thanks. Um, So, yeah, so that's kind of – so, Cece, that's how we think about it. And you mentioned something before that I thought was really interesting was, uh, Cece, you were saying that back five years ago or so when we pitched you – Uh, you know, you're asking like, how big could the market possibly be? And stuff like that. And the conversation has completely changed over the past five years. Um, We did a seed five years ago or four and a half years ago. And then we did a series A about a year ago. And the conversations were completely different. It was weird. Um, You know, you were one of the few people, CC, that that just instantly was really into developers and developer tools and stuff like that. But I spent most of my time doing our seed round pitching like, uh, here's why APIs are going to be big. Here's why developers are going to be big and all that. And like, it's weird how a few years later, no one's really asking that. No one now, a single person in our series, series A asked us, like, is the market big enough or anything like that? So it's been a weird shift over the past few years, which has been really exciting.
2: It's interesting that while
1: we think, like, oh, Silicon Valley's on, like, the cutting edge and we're the future. And, like, yes, we are building thing like, you're building something that was new and that, like, the world didn't really know about at the time. Um, but from the investment side point of view, I think that that shift has come because of the public markets. Investors are seeing a lot of success um, in these developer-oriented businesses, like, um i think a at last is the really big standout but um even just looking at the github outcome and things like that yeah. i think people are like wow it's amazing developer businesses rock let's go let's go after them um and even for slack that's definitely been i don't know if i should share this but hey oh i'm gonna share it <laughs> um, but, um i we i think for for the years that we've been there i've been there over oh my- Approaching five years that's kind of crazy um for like the four and a half years that i've been at slack it's sort of been like oh developers are over there you guys are doing your platform thing good job it's like going really well but it wasn't sort of a core focus in terms of growing the customer base and this year it's like no developers are actually and we always knew that developers were an important sort of like wedge into our large enterprise customers but it's like no developers are actually like first class citizen not just in terms of like the api is really important but in terms of like as a customer and as a user, we're going to go after that. Like we're going to focus on saying like Slack is a great product for developers to use to help build things. And when we get that little toehold into a business, it's often then able to grow really well. Um, so I think that was something that uh, three years ago or two years ago, we were a little bit hesitant to ever lead with, but now we're like, nope, developers are it. Like, let's go. Mm-hmm. We're not afraid to, to claim them as our core customer.
2: hmm while at the same time trying to make the product more usable for the opposite of a developer, right? Which is yeah. so interesting. Um make you know, adding these little touches that allow people who are not very tech savvy to easily use Slack. Um, but yeah, I totally agree, CC. Oh.
0: I wonder no, how many we're doing- Oh, sorry. Go for it, CC.
2: No, no, I was just agreeing with her. Go
0: ahead. Oh, I wonder how many developers you've actually created Um, because I remember I started programming back using like, I don't know, GeoCities or something years ago. And like, I just found this like random thread of something that got me into programming and I learned more and more. I wonder how many people have actually gotten into development because they just wanted a Slack bot that did something specific. They couldn't find something to do it. Um, uh, They figured out how to like get node running or use something and kind of use this as their like entry point. And uh, uh, I think there's so few products now that really, create developers. Um, I think maybe five, 10 years ago, there's so many, um, where we could just write CSS and JavaScript and HTML and like hack away at things. And we've kind of locked things down a bit. Uh, Slack seems like one of those few places that's actually creating developers still.
1: That's Interesting. I think that's an interesting sort of topic, like how, how open can you be as a product? Like if you're building a company or if you're part of a community, how do you keep it open so that you heart, like really bringing people in and not just being a sort of like high walled garden? situation where only the elites are participating
0: Hmm. yeah it's uh i think um it's tough to start as a developer now like when i started as a developer i just had to create a php file someplace and and run it and it was really easy to get into it and now if you want to create a website you have to know like a billion things and it's crazy and slack's one of those few places where you can write like four lines of code and have something that works really incredibly well which is pretty cool um Mm -hmm. so uh that's great (laughs)
1: What are interesting emerging platforms to you greg like Ooh. what's coming up that you think is cool
0: well kind of like you said though it's um you can't just create a platform on its own um you yeah. need to have a really good product and then build on top of it uh, you mentioned notion um i like that a lot air is another one that um kind of brings databases to people who don't know how to use a database um and they don't even realize they're using a database um because they think it's more like excel which it is totally but um i think that's a really cool um a cool one um Discord, I think, is another great one. I know that uh, it's kind of compared to Slack, but same yeah. exact uh, thing, which is there's a bunch of people who are, you know, 15, 20, 25 years old and messing around and creating these Discord bots to do random weird stuff. Like, this is my first time on Discord ever. Um, for people who can't see, we're recording from Discord, even though we're broadcasting um, elsewhere, and it's my first time using it. And it's been fascinating to kind of see this, like, subculture of people who are building on top of, um, on top of, uh, on top of Discord as well. Um, intercom I think is, has a huge opportunity for being a gigantic platform. Um, what did I miss Paige? Anything big?
2: (sighs) I think you covered kind of my top ones. Um, yeah, I'm seeing a question here from Loom Barroso. Talk more about why notion is in the dev power tool category. That's a good question. I'm not as familiar with notion CC, Greg, what do you guys think?
1: I can go ahead with my initial thoughts okay just want to also add to Greg sort of like whoa discord this is also my first time using it and discord is freaking cool and it also this is really random so if we're going to like talk about the I want to use a bad word and say bastardization of the name <laughs> but like if we're going to talk about the use of the word platform like if we were all in LA right now and we were talking about platforms that would mean like my fame basically like like your platform is how much you can reach people so like Chris Pratt has a great platform because he's famous. Um, and I, when I was in Venture, I actually got really interested in the world of like influencers. And um, that's everywhere. So the partner, one of the partners I was working for, had invested really early in Twitch, which was super fun because while I was at Bessemer, they actually got acquired. So it was really interesting. I got to like watch him on calls and it was like, Google's buying them. No, Amazon's buying them. No, Google's buying them. No, Amazon's buying them. Like it really was switching back and forth that fast. Um, so like Twitch and then YouTube is like, so interesting. And now you have TikTok, which is like this whole other situation. Cause it's basically like part of the Chinese government or like the Chinese government is yeah. all the access to it you could ever imagine. So there's, there's these influencers who have quote unquote platforms in, um, in the streaming space, that's everything. I'd say it's like in the general media category. Mm -hmm. And Discord is this interesting intersection of those things as as well as Twitch, where you're seeing people able to extend. And actually like one of the people Paige and I worked really closely with named Amir Shavat, who's now a founder at another company, but he went to Twitch to lead up their developer program, which was actually pretty big. And if you think about it, the ways that you could extend something like this, if people are spending a lot of time in it, like the, Potential for commerce and like gamification and just like having fun is is so big. So I think that's like a really interesting little category. It's already pretty well underway, I would say, but it's something that I wonder about because of how Facebook, I don't think I would say Facebook totally misstepped with their platform as like a consumer platform, but they definitely made everyone super freaked out about consumer platforms. (laughs)
0: Or like consumer yeah.
1: APIs, um, whereas like these sort of streaming and live and influencer platforms today, I think have a ton of potential and you don't see Instagram, yeah. you see Instagram opening things up very, very carefully, whereas maybe for a Discord or a Twitch, you're going to see more aggressive moves
2: made. Yeah. Um, and you're gonna have like even more so yeah. in this age, right? Like we're all at home. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'd be so curious to see Discord and Twitch's um, numbers right now. Oh, I'm oh sure it's God, insane. 80%. Yeah, crazy. Like I was yeah. I was on
0: Discord last night playing poker with friends and stuff like that. And it's just a great place to just mess around. And uh, yeah, I can see it being a, a good time to be one of those businesses. Yeah. Uh, so someone in the yeah. chat, a uh, Discord user, which I imagine is not their real name, uh, asked how to start dev marketing at a real tiny startup. At what stage to expand from a single person team?
1: I'm just going to give <laughs> yeah, go see see. just go look on Notion's website and see like all the powerful examples of how people are building stuff on it. I'd say it's more of like a very simple business builder than like a, I just think you can create like really smart spreadsheets very easily and create like sort of micro apps on it. Um, but that's too cursory and I don't know enough. So we should get into how to start dev marketing at a tiny startup page. Mm-hmm. Kick them off.
0: Mm.
2: I mean, it's always the question of like, at a certain point, is it product or is it marketing? Um, and at a tiny startup, it's probably the founder and the founder is probably doing product and like a bit of marketing, um, or maybe they're developing as well. Maybe they're doing it all. I don't know. Um, so ultimately it, some people might call it marketing. Some people might call it product and in, in the early stages, you want to like figure out your product market fit. Right. And a lot of times that won't be called marketing at that point, it'll be called product. Um, so You know at a certain point when you feel like you have product market fit that's the time when you want to start thinking about your first marketing hire and i talked to a lot of founders who are like we're not ready to to maybe hire a team but like what can i do um and i think there's there's sort of a lot you can do right and it obviously depends on your product and your business but you don't need a big budget and a big team to do developer marketing um I would first think about defining what your funnel is that's really really important and it can be something really simple it doesn't have to be complex but it's gonna add like a critical layer of focus because I think the trap that it's easy to fall into is we need to do marketing quote-unquote marketing Mm -hmm. let's start a blog let's do a podcast let's do oh we need three uh social social media handles um or we need to be on all platforms and it's like why right like don't do anything if you can't measure the outcome um so first think about what are your outcomes that you that you want to measure um so it could be for example like uh, at the top of the funnel is awareness are people just aware of your product you might measure that by looking at page views to your website then you might do, you know, the next step in your funnel might be interested, um, meaning like they've interacted with some piece of your content. Um, If you have a blog, it could be that they've read um, something on your blog. Just really simple metrics, right? And then you might look at the third step of your funnel being intent. So um, is a developer intending on building something? And oftentimes that can look like Um, they have generated or requested an API key, meaning like they've taken the first step to building something, um, but they haven't finished it yet. But they've shown intent to build something on your platform. And then maybe the fourth and final step of that simplified funnel is um, expansion. So I think about expansion as, are they continuing to invest? Are they continuing to build? Um, It could look like, um, API calls. Uh, it could look like you measuring whether people are adopting new features. Um, so I'm talking about platforms here, but um, yeah, the first thing you want to do is get really specific on what your funnel is. And then to layer on top of that, you can think about tactics that you're going to take at each stage of the funnel. And again, if you're a small startup, I would say be very focused, don't go crazy. You don't need to have a blog if that if that doesn't make sense for you. Um, or maybe that is the play that you wanna go hard on and you wanna go hard on content. Um, but then maybe you don't have to do YouTube or whatever it is. So be exceptionally focused and treat every stage of the funnel um, as sort of its own experiment. And then that can also be a bit of a, um, a map of the health your ecosystem so if I'm if I've decided we're gonna do content and we're gonna have our own blog and that's gonna be an SEO play um, and it's a long game that's what we're doing then just pick one or two metrics that you're focused on and and if those kind of um, plateau or start going down or things change it's much simpler to diagnose which stage of your funnel is leaking than if you were to do ten things like sort of well, and you're not really sure what you're measuring or how they um, how they move people down your funnel.
0: That makes a lot of sense.
2: Literally just hearing you say all that page makes me like we need to work together
1: again.
0: I know. Cece. <laughs> I know. We will. I'm excited if after. After this page, I'm excited to find out what you're up to uh, up to next. I won't ask you online, but I'll ask you uh, <laughs> <laughs> offline and That's find out what question. you're
2: up to next. Like everything is changing, can we just acknowledge how like weird this time is in all of our lives? Um, yeah, what a wild time. I Paige page consult for you together because I want to work with Paige again. So
1: we'll <laughs> team up. You guys can we're... just stick
0: around. We can do a, We can just launch a, a radio station if you guys want to do that. We can uh, just keep this going forever. <laughs>
1: Greg, as long as we can just use you for um, like, basically you're such a good marketer. I feel like Greg does not get enough kudos for being like an epic marketer as well as really good at product and design, like casual, totally. total don't worry about it. Um, one thing I just want to like reemphasize that Paige is saying, so I actually, this is like a personal theory and I have to be careful about how I say it because it could be <laughs> a little bit spicy, but say it like easy. like, in, so in general, like, Marketing is one of those things where Paige was like, oh, we're going to do marketing and like sparkles and jazz hands. Marketing is a really tricky thing. And I think a lot of people are very confused about it. And I actually, I'm a believer that like, you really don't need a big marketing team at all. And you don't need a big marketing budget to have quote unquote successful marketing. A thing that gets really tricky is when you start doing brand marketing, like, um, like tv ads or billboards um, or things that require one a lot of design and two a lot of budget spend to get in front of eyeballs but if you're not going after that kind of brand spend um you can be a very very effective marketing machine without a lot of people one and two without a lot of money um so i think that's one of the like the things i would re-emphasize from what Paige is saying another philosophy i have developed recently from also meeting with some founders about their marketing is like if you look someone commented a little while ago about how greg has a great blog and like you're getting your philosophy across and like i think that the best marketing for a startup is to take the startup's dna and turn that into a brand so um i think brand can be one of those things that feels intimidating and like it's going to be a lot of work but if you think about it like readme has a really great brand that's very distinctive and a lot of it is just sort of the overflow of what um what Greg values and the way that they've built the company. So, like, Ali was just something fun that Greg designed early on. And it's become this part of README that we all recognize and know um, that is like a really easy, recognizable brand. Um, someone's asking something interesting here. I don't think that marketing is not useful.
0: Ooh, well, developers are very hard to market to. I think that's kind of your point, Cece, is that it's not useful, but traditional marketing sometimes doesn't resonate. Marketing
1: speak doesn't work with developers. For marketing to developers, again, like to what I'm saying, where you have to take the founder and take like the real reason the product exists and turn that into something that you're translating to developers, that's important. You got to be genuine. Like trying to use a ton of marketing speak to convince someone that something is useful is a waste of time. I also think the best part about marketing to developers, as opposed to like marketing to and be a very traditional enterprise buyer is they just don't want the BS. So you don't have mm-hmm. to put it in there. Like you don't have to say, you don't have to have like endless um, EBCs, which are these like fancy executive briefing centers. You can just explain <laughs> what the product does and if a developer finds it useful and tries it out, they usually will take it for a spin without having to get um, wined and dined to take it for a spin Then they'll use it. And if your product's not that good, then they're not gonna use it. So it's very straightforward on that front.
0: Yeah, there's no amount of Google ads that will convince people to build a Slack app if they don't understand why they're doing it or actually want to do it. Um, exactly. And the best I thing is starting com- can
1: help as a dev. To the like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: devs are just looking for a solution. So if your product is a solution, if you have enough content out there, they'll find it. They yeah. It.
0: And I think uh, the best dev marketing that I've seen is always just, it just feels uh, obviously natural. But for me, for example, the way that I think about marketing is I I don't. I just kind of, Think about we're a company, have a bit of money, and I can just kind of use it to build fun, interesting, weird things that I want to do. And uh, that's more likely to resonate with other developers, I think. Um, and that's been really great mm-hmm. for us is that a lot of the stuff that might be considered marketing, I'm just doing for fun because it's a it's an excuse to to build something new or to get a bunch of owl drawings. Uh, our mascot, Albert, is like <laughs> uh, all over everything. And I found like animators to animate him and all that. And um, it's just all fun for me. And I think it resonates with people because it's fun for me.
1: Yeah. I think that other you
2: prioritize oh sorry go ahead Cece. no i would only
1: add that greg does this really well by just knowing that freelancers are very available like the song at the beginning of this kickoff like if you like must have just found a freelancer to do, do that really quickly whereas i think a lot of people are like how could i ever do that and just don't bother i think mm-hmm. you're able to realize like oh there's this is all accessible Paige, go with your question so-
2: i was i was gonna ask like I, I'm not sure how big your your team is now, Greg, but obviously you're you're still somewhat small. There's a lot to do. How do you prioritize what you do? How do you prioritize your marketing?
0: Ooh, uh, that's a great question. So um, we're at 25 now. Uh, we just hired a few months ago our first person whose job title like has the word marketing in it, um, John, and. Uh, we've been doing marketing for for years, but um, John's been the thing that John's been doing that's a little bit different is um, actually putting numbers to it. So uh, I don't get to just say like I'm gonna do a radio station now. I have to do a radio station and track it and make sure we have numbers and all that. And I think that's great because it helps us realize what's working and what's not. Um, but it's tough because I think we're still, even though you know we do marketing, if you want to call it that, uh, Page, we're still exactly in the position you mentioned before, which is the marketing at the end of the day is the product, um, and there's really. No amount of marketing that can kind of fake it, or uh, we're still in that like you know building the product phase, um, and hopefully mm-hmm. we'll be forever because I think Slack's like that as well. Like I know that yeah. you two do a lot of marketing, or uh, Paige, you did do a lot of marketing, but at the end of the day, you're not mark, you can't market the product if it's not the product's not good and the product's not there. So yeah. I think Slack's very like product focused as well. I I think I don't know if you agree yeah. with
2: that. We oh, yeah. are definitely definitely.
0: Um, and then as far as like marketing goes, yeah, it's just finding unique things because developers, it's so hard to cut through the noise with developers. Uh, they just, they don't like ads. I don't like ads um, I my ad block, everything. Um, and just finding unique, interesting, weird ways to give people value is kind of fascinating.
1: Mm-hmm. The comment here is really good too, around empowering the developers. One of the things that um, Paige started having built out really amazingly on her team with a woman named Elizabeth, who's just an all-star community is Like if you just empower people who love using your API, they will evangelize it. And that's, again, you don't want to be a phony in that. Like you can tell when something is just not legit and it feels icky and gross, but when you are truly empowering people to talk about a product they love, they will do it. So, um, and also like, again, you don't need to spend millions of dollars to make that happen. It can be really simple. It can be setting up community guidelines, giving people budget for pizza and then like (laughs) setting them and and budget for like some space for an evening and then setting them free to do it and setting something up like a Discord online. Like it's pretty basic. Um, And I think what's also surprising, sometimes we, depending on like your perspective, you can be like, oh, who would want to be in that community? But like, look at the Salesforce developer community. That thing is huge and thriving. And like, I'm not a a huge Salesforce fangirl, I'd say. Um, so I think at times I was really like having us really get in there and partner with their developer ecosystem. But like, man, people make their livings build- building off of Salesforce. And that's like a pretty amazing and powerful thing. I love it um, even. And I have to get over my like, uh, I, don't know, like I have sort of like a David and Goliath thing with them. But, like, <laughs> no, I've never competed with them. It's like totally stupid of me, but it's really impressive. And like, that's not the kind of ecosystem that I'd be super psyched to go market, but clearly they've been very, very successful with it. So, so successful.
2: Think, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, yeah. Salesforce is very, very impressive. Um, to what you were saying, Cece. Yeah. So Elizabeth Kinsey, shout out Elizabeth, best community person ever. We were so I if we could so get lucky. her on here. I'm should. The- you should, you we, should. We'll I'll go to the after. right now. Yeah. <laughs> I know.
0: And if you guys want to come <laughs> back at any time, we've broadcasted You're for 24 listening. hours, so you can bring her back <laughs> yeah. then.
2: Um, so Elizabeth is like the community person. She lives and breathes community. And we are really lucky to be able to hire her on my team. She's still at Slack. Shout out. She ran, She ran. So she came on to build out um, Slack's community program. And what Cece was alluding to is, Again, going back to like, is the product really good? Do people love the product? Cool. Give them a, a platform, not to use that word, to share that love and to be an active part of the community. So Slack has had a community of developers with like a little C, right? But we didn't have like um, a, a big C community, like a formal way for people to step up and lead their own community. Um, just like, you know, Google or Salesforce have their in-person communities. So we brought on Elizabeth to build that out. And it's been amazing to see the um, excitement. And I am in awe of everyone who's part of that community because it is not my nature to volunteer my time, like my time (laughs) off, my weekends to organize events for a company that I don't work for. Like the amount of um, passion and excitement that these community leaders have is crazy. Um, and all we had to do was give them the, the keys to do that, right? Just give them the opportunity to do that, some a little bit of swag and some stickers and pizza money. Um, and it, we just had to enable it. And once we, once we started it, it was like um, pouring gasoline on a fire in a good way.
1: It's so cool.
0: Okay. Interesting
1: question about whether people are making a living building products on Slack. I wouldn't say they're making a full living the way that maybe people are making it on Salesforce, but we're starting to see solid businesses built on our pro- on our platform. And then also the question around consulting for Slack, I think is another one where you could see people making real money. I think it's just still still getting there, but people are making revenue, I'd say.
0: Do you have any, I mean, obviously I don't want to hear the numbers, but do you have any internal, like, have you even tried to understand the financial impact Slack has, like on this entire ecosystem? Um, because obviously there's, maybe you would say that there's companies that aren't making money, their entire salary is based on Slack, but there's a lot of products that we use mainly because they're in Slack. Um, have you like even tried to quantify that at all? Or how would you even start doing that?
1: Watson Pencils does a lot of Slack business, that's true. Um, I don't think we've quantified it. I, I actually would say that in terms of really tracking to what Paige was saying, so this funnel piece around like the funnel is how you do developer marketing. You understand how you are um, acquiring developers and then enabling them to be successful and and watching them add value to the customer. That's been sort of the thing that I think Paige and I have been evangelizing our entire time at Slack. When I joined, it was just me and just getting people convinced that we had to care about that was, um, was its own battle. Um, to that end, getting a lot of tooling set up around the developer ecosystem has been um a long slog page you probably had it mm-hmm. more set up before I, before i left than it was before than when i went out but or, mm. sorry but it's probably been better implemented <laughs> since then but in terms of tracking revenue and things like that we don't because we're not a stripe we're not sitting on top of um watching them transact with the customer that's their own business so we don't yeah. have that level of insight we do have the slack funds though we made a lot of investments out of the Slack fund, and a number of those are doing very well. So that's like an interesting proxy. Paige, what would you add? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, like you said, um, Slack, Slack's platform doesn't provide native monetization right now, meaning like you can't charge for a Slack app through the Slack platform. So it's all done on the developer side, and that's all that logic and all that. You can charge for an app or not, doesn't matter. It's up to you, it's a, up to the developer um but beyond thinking about so we don't have like um, granular understanding of like exactly how much revenue is generated by the platform but the other thing is like that's a very it's just it's a part of the value that that slack would be focused on because like we are going back to what we were talking about earlier with um internal developers building custom apps that are just for their own companies, those would never generate revenue. And yet those are a majority of the apps that exist on Slack are not public. They're custom apps that are only for a company to use. And the value there is stickiness and um, stickiness, meaning the customer is more likely to pay and stick around. It's harder to leave and all that good stuff. And so, uh, so I don't know that that's, you know, the point being, I don't know that not having a um, an exact number of revenue is a problem because there's, uh, revenue is just a small part of the value of of what the platform is bringing to customers.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that Slack has done something that so incredibly few companies have ever done. Um, and that is, it's almost a badge of honor to have built on Slack. Um, we get requests, and we have a Slack integration, um, Kanad, who I just posted in the chat, uh, built it out, but like we get so many requests for like a Slack integration and we're always like, well, what do you want the Slack integration to do? And like, they haven't really thought that far. They just want everything to be in Slack. And um, <laughs> so many companies just build Slack integrations and are proud of it because um, it's just such a, it's just like kind of this like, uh it's so rare to see something like that. I think Facebook, uh, we brought this up before and it didn't go well for them, but I think Facebook for a while had this, like, you know, if you built a Facebook, something on top of the Facebook platform that was huge, but it's so rare to find this, like, this platform that everyone just is desperate to build on and and they start wanting to build on and they work backwards and figure out what they can build as opposed to the other way. And uh, that's such a cool place to be.
1: Yeah. I think it's kind of for us, actually. What, what's that, CC? Because sometimes people just build things that just like sit and gather dust. So figuring out how we can tell them like this is what's valuable has been um, a yes, marketing challenge. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I
2: I was literally about to say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I think that's the that's the work that's that's coming next or that SAC was and is engaged in doing is um, uh, developers really want us to be more opinionated. Um, Slack wasn't that opinionated for a long time of like the best quote unquote best way to build an app. Mm. Um, and it was kind of like, do whatever, here's some tools, have fun. Um, but the feedback that we got was like, Hey, that's cool. There's all this functionality, but like, can you just tell me like the best way to build an app? And so I think there was like a shift, um, in like 2019, um, And the the latter part of 2019 where we're like, yeah, we probably should be more opinionated and just help people build something cool. And of course you can do anything you want, but um, really uh, giving people um, a toolkit um, is something that we didn't do before. And now we're, we were doing more of.
0: I feel like that's a fallacy sometimes with uh, developers where people think, what developers want is the most complicated, do anything you want type thing. But because uh, we say this all the time with uh, APIs that we host, there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of endpoints, and people think we have an amazing API. You can do whatever you want. But like, right. you just need three good use cases or three solid, totally. like, here's how to get started things. And that's better than thousands of pages of like, you can do this weird thing and all that. Cause no one gets that far if they can't figure out how to make a very simple app on you.
2: Totally. And like, why why um, put that cognitive load on your developers? Like, you know, you have all the data, you know what makes an app good, you know what the use cases are. Why make everybody figure it out again and again, instead of just like providing some, some examples.
1: It's tricky though, like knowing exactly what, the, how to tell people what to do depending on their use case. And then one of the other things that I think has been interesting, being on a fast growing platform even though I don't want to use the word platform there, has been hard because you tell people, like, this is the thing, like, everyone build with these blocks now. Like, these are going to be so useful. Users are going to love clicking them. And then you have awesome product managers who are building, who are, like, making things move really fast and in a great dev team who's working on building even better blocks that are more extensible. And it's like, and the blocks that we had you build for six months ago are now obsolete, like,
2: right.
1: now, and that's now. And that's a good problem to have. I think what's tricky is when you haven't been able to really user test stuff in great depth, you can actually like suddenly pivot a lot, um, which we don't want to ever thrash developers. But figuring, yeah. I think we've gotten to a place where we feel better about it now. But we definitely, especially in the four years where I was really at the helm of that, um, we went through a fair amount of change in terms of what we thought was the best way to build. And I think we're still going to be figuring it out in years to come. Right.
0: Let's awesome sure. well i could do this forever but we are getting close to the end of the hour no. and i know that uh both of you probably want to get back to your families and your quarantining and all that um so to s- end it all um how can we find you online cc and page
1: sure i can send my twitter
0: perfect oh yeah i guess you can put us in the chat and uh, i'll put it online as well um <laughs> Perfect. Uh, anything else you guys want to plug any uh, upcoming, I guess you're both kind of, uh, not slacking currently, but any slack things that are worth talking about coming up or anything you want to plug before we, uh, before I let you two go.
1: I think the biggest thing that I would plug is the way that Stuart is encouraging all of us as employees to take life right now. Like literally there are a number of posts he sent where he's like, don't worry too much about work. Like really just take care of yourselves and like we're making the business happen and you know, we're all, we're all here, we're all working, but like make sure you take your time to rest, make sure you take your time to take breaks because we are in a crazy moment in time in the world. So yeah, Yeah. it's, it's a, a weird deal. time,
2: everyone. <laughs> things are getting weird. <laughs> things are getting really weird. Yeah. I'm kind of here for it. Like there's just no, it's no holes barred right now on social media. Everyone's doing weird things.
0: There's going to be a lot of really bad things that come out of this, obviously, and if it if we go back in time and make it not happen, I'd rather not make it happen, obviously, but um, you know, much like the 2008 downturn, um, there's going to be some really cool stuff that comes out of it, just the way that people are just desperate for communication and connection and find weird new things to make or do, um, and uh, as much as I don't want 99% of the stuff that's going to happen to happen, uh, the 1% that's going to come out of this is going to be really exciting and cool, I, I am excited to have, so... Um, Awesome. Well, Paige and Cece, thanks so much for coming on. I, uh, really appreciate it. Um, you guys are my first transition into a second speaker, so I'm not sure exactly what I'll do. Maybe I'll do one of these like cheesy new DJ drops I have. And then, uh, do looking we come back, we're going to have do it. Matt from MUX.
2: i a million angels. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having us. And, um, Good luck, by the way. 24 hours, wow.
0: 23 23 to go.
2: (laughs) 23 to go. Thank you so much for having us and nice chatting with you. and Nice chatting with you, Cece. You too. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.
0: So you're stuck in your apartment, working from your living room. Your favorite restaurant's the kitchen, and the best bar that you know is Zoom. We can fight the boredom if we try. If we work together, we'll survive. A radio station for developers. For 24 hours, we're going live. With guests and games and panels, we'll make the time fly by. A radio station for developers on WAPI.